Hello and welcome to another episode of the Microbiome Research X podcast. I'm Adar Sandu, an editor of the MRX website that features the latest news, views and research highlights on the microbiome in Japan and globally. Our guest today is Christoph Theiss, who is at the University of Pennsylvania in the USA. Christoph was selected as a finalist of the 2023 Noster and Science Microbiome Prize for his essay entitled A Microbiome Exercise. Details about Christoph's prize-winning essay and his research can be found on the Noster and MRX websites. Christoph, thank you for joining us today and congratulations on being selected as a finalist of the Noster and Science Microbiome Prize for 2023. So the first question is, why microbiome? What triggered your interest in this area of research? Yeah, so uh, for me, this was a, a pretty long journey um, that started um, essentially when I started my undergraduate studies. Um, so I was, I was born and raised in Germany, and I, I also started my undergraduate studies in Germany. Um, and this was at a time where uh, the field of immunology was extremely exciting. Um, this was about a decade or a bit more than a decade um, after the discovery of basically all the innate immune receptors that uh, told us how the immune system recognizes microbes. And there was a, a huge field starting as a result of this. And it was also the time of the very detailed characterization of uh, all the T-cell subsets, all the transcription factors to drive the different T-cells. So I, as a, as a young student, I was extremely excited um, to study immunology. And I, I did this uh, when I started my undergraduate uh, in Germany. Um, but then later during my studies, I, I um, went to the U U.S. for the first time and I joined the lab of Richard Flavel, um, who at the time was very interested in the question of how to um, reconcile the fact that the innate immune system is recognizing all these microbes. But at the same time, we have this huge abundance of endogenous microbes in the gastrointestinal tract, on the skin, in the respiratory tract. Um, your genital tract to some extent. Um, but how, how is it possible that we can basically tolerate a lifestyle in direct vicinity of all these microbes? And at the same time, we have this immune system that is supposed to react all the time to these microbes, which was a huge question at the time, completely unanswered. Um, and I was, as an undergraduate student in, in Richard's lab, I was extremely interested in this question. I, I started studying uh, this together with Aran Elinav, who would later become uh, my supervisor for the, for the PhD. Um, and we, we had uh, some very exciting findings uh, around this time in this area. And basically through this lens of coming from the immune system, being interested in microbes, I then uh, did a master's degree um, in Switzerland, working with uh, Emma Slack and, and uh, Wolf Dietrich Hart at ETH in Zurich, um, and got even more interested in uh, the microbial side of things and started studying uh, infectious disease, enteric infection biology, and so on. And then, as I mentioned, I joined Aran Elinav, um, who at the time started a new lab at the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel for my PhD, um, and basically did a PhD on many characteristics on the microbiome, uh, both the microbiome and its relationship with the immune system. But at the time, we already knew that there was very strong metabolic implications. So I shifted fields again, and I started uh, studying metabolism in, in much more depth during my PhD. And then after the PhD, I started my own lab back in the U.S. here at the University of Pennsylvania. 
And over time, we shifted fields again. And now we mostly study the microbiome from the perspective of neuroscience. So we're very interested in how the microbiome interacts with the nervous system. And um, in a way, the microbiome led us from field to field to field to field, exploring many different aspects of how it controls uh, host physiology and, and implications for various different diseases. Yes, that does sound like a long journey. What aspects of the microbiome are you studying now? Uh, what are your goals? What problems are you trying to solve? So now we're taking a very broad view um, at some of the main diseases of uh, humanity in general, um, because we're focusing on trying to understand the commonalities among the major types of human diseases, which are basically chronic inflammatory diseases, metabolic diseases, cancer, and neurodegeneration. Um, which all together affect the large majority of individuals at some point during their lifespan. And what's very interesting about these diseases is that in contrast to uh, infectious diseases, for example, for all of these diseases, we have a very poor understanding of the evolutionary origin of them because they are not always very intuitive from the perspective of why these diseases exist. Um, that's why there are two major explanations currently. One is that many of these diseases are diseases of aging and they have just evolutionarily they have not been selected against because we tend to develop uh, neurodegeneration cancer and some of these other chronic diseases after the end of the reproductive period right so there was no genetic mechanism to select against them um, before we have children so we're very interested in this perspective and the other very common explanation is uh, called the environmental mismatch theory which means that many of these diseases or, or the susceptibility of these diseases arises um, because the human body has evolved in a completely different environmental circumstance. And right now we have, we completely changed our dietary environment, our lifestyle environment, our uh, um, tendency to smoke, drink alcohol, exercise or not, and all these uh, lifestyle elements that um, very strongly shape our susceptibility to these diseases. So now what's really interesting is that the microbiome can be viewed as a mediator of uh, some of these environmental factors um, and their impact on the host. So we're, we're very interested in studying the microbiome as uh, sort of a, a relay station um, between all these environmental factors and their mechanistic impact on disease susceptibility in various different organ systems. So that's what we're primarily studying now in my group. And what methods do you use? Do you have... Uh specific approaches that uh, perhaps uh, you could share with us? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we're really interested in the um, neurological or neuroscientific implications of the microbiome now. So many of the methods we use are actually methods that were classically developed for studying the brain or the, the central nervous system. Things like uh, optogenetics, chemogenetics, you know, various different ways of uh, profiling the activity of and controlling the activity of neurons. And we're now applying them in the context of the peripheral nervous system and how the peripheral nervous system interacts with the microbiome. So one of one of the examples um, that, that we're using uh, frequently and, and are driving many of the studies that we're currently conducting is um, essentially high throughput profiling of calcium imaging uh, in peripheral neurons as they're exposed to microbes or products of, uh, of the microbiome. And the reason why we're so interested in this is because we, we classically um, view the, uh, the nervous system or the, at least the peripheral part of the nervous system as being able to perform exteroception and interoception, right? So exteroception is 
our ability to sense the environment, everything we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, and so on. Um, and interoception is the nervous system's ability to monitor the internal variables of the body and report them to the brain. And now from the perspective of the microbiome, this is extremely interesting because the microbiome is somewhat in between exteroception and interoception. It has many features of being shaped by the environment, um, for example, by dietary nutrients that enter the gastrointestinal tract. Um, and this is even more apparent for microbes that are exposed to the surface, like on the skin, for example. And at the same time, many of the molecules produced by the microbiome would be variables monitored by the interoceptive system. For example, nutrients that enter the body and, and microbial products that enter the body and so on. So the microbiome has this very unique spot in between interoception and exteroception. And that's why it's so interesting to study it uh, with uh, modern day neuroscience technologies. And do you think you could share some recent results and their implications with us? Yes, one of our recent findings um, actually is somewhat derived from this idea of how the microbiome influences the peripheral nervous system. And this is a study we conducted on the topic of exercise. The reason why we're so interested in exercise is because if you think about the diseases that um, I just discussed a minute ago, neurodegeneration, cancer, chronic inflammation, um, chronic metabolic and, and or cardiometabolic disease, there is a single very potent intervention that protects us against all of them, which is exercise, right? There are many, many epidemiological studies telling us that the, the one very important lifestyle tool that we all have to avoid getting these diseases is exercise. Um, and this is proven beyond doubt. There is no doubt that uh, regular exercise and, and at least 150 to 300 minutes of moderate level intensity exercise every week is highly protective um, in the context of all of these diseases. The big question though is uh, how does it work? How does exercise have all these benefits? And the other big question is uh, why don't we all take advantage of these uh, benefits of exercise, right? Why, why, on a global scale, why do we not exercise enough? And what regulates um, sort of the person-to-person -person variability in, in our willingness and, and ability to exercise? So in this study, we, we basically identified a microbiome contribution to this, to this uh, problem, which was very unexpected at the time. But we basically identified a pathway that originates in the gastrointestinal tract with uh, specific bacteria and specific molecules that they produce. And these molecules um, have the ability to activate gut innervating sensory neurons um, through a specific uh, receptor that detects these molecules. And these gut innervating sensory neurons then send a, a message to the brain. And what, what these sensory uh, neurons do is they modulate the amount of dopamine that is released in the brain, specifically in the stratum of the brain, in response to exercise. So every time we exercise or a, or a lab animal exercises, um, we get an increase in dopamine um, as a response to this physical activity. Um, this is something that has been really well studied uh, before our study. We know that there are many neurochemical changes in the brain in response to exercise, and this surge in dopamine is one of them. And dopamine, of course, is the the neurotransmitter in the brain that, that is primarily responsible for generating reward feelings, pleasure, motivation, and so on. So basically the rewarding effects of physical activity, um, some people call this the runner's high. So basically these uh, euphoric moments you can get from strenuous physical activity that motivate you to do it again, this is mediated by dopamine. So now that we found that the microbiome through this uh, sensory 
afferent pathway modulates the extent of dopamine release in response to exercise, we understand much better how the microbiome contributes to an animal or a human being's um, willingness to engage in physical activity. So basically what we describe in this study is this pathway and the, the result of it is that, for example, a germ-free mouse um, that lacks uh, the endogenous microbiome is much less willing to engage in prolonged physical activity compared to a colonized mouse. So I guess the next step is uh, human trials. Do you plan to use humans for these uh, experiments and test your results with the, with the real world? Yes, I completely agree. So our next step is to try and, and uh, investigate the translational potential of this finding. Um, what's very difficult to do in humans is to study, non-invasively study the activity of the peripheral nervous system because there are just no tools available yet to do this. So we're engaged in, in tool development to some extent. But, but what's very easy in humans is to non-invasively study the microbiome because uh, it's, it's uh, very accessible compared to many other uh, parts of the body. So the, these, this study to basically try and, and uh, find associations between the microbiome and its composition and function in humans and their willingness and ability to engage in, in physical activity, this is something we're currently uh, very interested in, in, uh, in uh, starting. That's very interesting. And I expect uh, if you do manage to define some specific pathways, then I'm sure there are people out there who would be more than interested in uh, developing tools to actually motivate people to do more exercise and uh, perhaps reduce the uh, chances of getting serious diseases. That's right. And the, the other interesting thing about this uh, pathway modulating dopamine from the periphery is that, uh, of course, it's involved in motivation for physical activity, but that's not the only thing that dopamine is doing. There are many other um, aspects of physiology and, and also pathological conditions where, where the regulation of dopamine in the striatum plays a big role. So we're trying to see whether this pathway can be generalized beyond exercise um, and whether there are other dopamine-dependent uh, conditions that, that can be regulated through the gastrointestinal tract by basically taking advantage of the, of the microbiome's ability and the ability of these molecules to regulate this pathway. Okay, can we now move on to the prize and ask um, why did you decide to submit an essay? Yeah, so I, uh, one of the previous prize winners, uh, Erhan Blacher, is, uh, is a good friend of mine. We, we actually worked together for a while because we worked um, together in, in the lab of Erhan Elinav in, at the Weizmann Institute in Israel. Um, and he is, uh, I think, two years ago, he was award awarded the prize and he told me about the prize. Um, that's how I got to know about it, and he was also the one encouraging me to to apply this year. So thank you, Aaron, for uh, encouraging people to submit their essays uh, for this prize. And how did you actually go about writing the essay? Yeah, so what's interesting about uh, this kind of essay is that it's completely unlike anything we usually write in our scientific lives, um, both both when we write manuscripts and when we write grants. Um, they're they're developed in a completely different way because many of them are. You know, developing slowly over time, and and uh, you know, they're they're very meticulous work of piecing together individual components. In the case of this essay, um, I actually wrote the entire piece in one go, um, based on you know everything that I had thought about for the last five years or so. It was already in my head, and then it was uh, basically the 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 task was to put it all together in a in a relatively uh, short piece on paper. Um, but I really enjoyed the process it's because it's so different from anything else we usually do. And uh, sort of the uh, 
creative freedom, I would say, that goes into this process is completely different uh, compared to what we usually experience when we write. And do you have any hints for people who may be considering applying for the prize in the future? Yeah, I think the, the single biggest opportunity of, uh, of an essay like this is to um, really conceptualize everything we normally do in very big picture terms. Um, to, to zoom out as much as possible and to, as scientists, we usually um, try to increase the level of detail and increase the level of resolution. So we essentially go down the branched uh, tree of knowledge further and further and further. And we're trying to, um, you know, find more examples and more details and, and uh, more evidence to support our studies. And in this case, it was actually an opportunity to go the other way to see, um, can we can we generalize the concepts that we're working on? Or can we find related concepts in other fields? And can we essentially go backwards this, this uh, um, tree of knowledge? And, and can we try and identify less detail rather than more detail and more commonalities rather than less commonalities? And in that sense, it reminded me a little bit of um, what people usually do in other areas of science, for example, in, in, in math and physics and, and these kind of uh, disciplines, they tend to be much less interested in the in the details of their applications, but more in the in the ability to generalize theories, and in that sense, it was a, a nice opportunity, I think, to take our very detailed research findings and then do the same process and try to generalize and, and try to see whether there are more universal theories that can be derived from them. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting is that uh, we, as as biologists or or as uh, medical doctors, we we very often pride ourselves in understanding things in more detail. Um, so the basically the recognition in a field usually comes with identifying rare exceptions or or very meticulous details of a specific phenomenon. And in uh, when I talk to my friends um, in mathematics or in physics or in engineering, they never get recognition for identifying a very unique detail, right? They only get recognition for things that are very generalizable, and and especially they get big recognition for uh, um, theories that can be applied to many many different fields later on. So I think that's something that is actually missing a lot in, in biology or in medicine. Um, I think there should be a lot more tendency or a lot more incentive for people to um, basically work up this uh, knowledge structure and, and not down in terms of resolving more and more detail all the time. Thank you, Christoph, for sharing your journey and insights into the microbiome. I will definitely try to exercise a bit more regularly than I do now. This concludes this episode of the Microbiome Research Podcast. Further information about the podcast is available on the MRX and NOSTA websites. On behalf of the editors of the MRX website, thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to your company again.